the copyrighted program created by the Leo Grande Oil Company. Calling all cars, attention all cars, attention all Concert County, Concert Concert County Sheriff's Cars, broadcast 117. All cars pick up any person attempting to pawn watches or diamonds or having blood stains on the clothing. Such a person may be the murderer of Harry Whittis, a jeweler of Crockett, who was murdered this morning in his store. That's all. starts in Northern California, where two of the largest cities, Oakland and Berkeley, specify that all police, fire, and emergency cars must use Rio Grande cracked gasoline exclusively. The play ends in Phoenix, Arizona, where all sheriff's cars of Maricopa County are also powered by Rio Grande cracked gasoline. In fact, everywhere it is sold, Rio Grande cracked gasoline powers more police and emergency cars than any other brand. Leading cities specify Rio Grande because their tests have proved that the exclusive fastest cracking process makes the liveliest, fastest, and most powerful gasoline. Rio Grande's cracking actually breaks up the atom so that every drop burns without waste. And now Rio Grande has added extra refining processes which extract all lazy, sluggish elements from cracked gasoline, leaving concentrated energy. These costly extra processes give Rio Grande Crack the extra speed and power that you know as police car performance. Although it costs us more per gallon to make this kind of gasoline, it costs you no more. And now it is our great pleasure to present Sheriff Miller of Contra Costa County, who will speak to you from the studios of station KFRC in San Francisco. Sheriff Miller. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Much of the work of catching a criminal is just that. Work. Hard work. Days upon days of it. Work that is done in quiet, undramatic offices. Work that comes off the mimeographing machine, and that is done through microscopes. Work that takes the form of countless questions on scores of worthless leads. It is often disturbing, tired, brain-breaking work. But there is one thing which fears the peace officer, no matter how low his spirits may drop, and that is the knowledge of the fact that sooner or later the criminal must meet his accounting with a law. The knowledge of the truth of the truism. Crime doesn't pay. Listen carefully to the story you are about to hear. See what happened to this man who committed murder and escaped. Leaving behind him no tangible clue. Escape with thousands of dollars of valuable. Listen carefully to his story. See how he profited by his spoils. And note the circumstances under which he was captured. And then, 30 minutes from now, 
Ask yourself if you honestly believe that crime can ever pay. This is Sheriff Zeal speaking. Right there in that chair where my husband always put the watch with the house on 
was a good one. Nobody buys hunting cases anymore. Uh, I guess he had that one in stock for six months. Yes, yes. But what we want to know is, Mrs. Whitted, did your husband keep an inventory of his stock? Is there any way of telling what is gone? Yes. Oh, yes. There was a lead room that filled with every item in it. Yes, 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 yes. There, I see. Here are all the rooms for instance. The most size and weight of the room are entered here. And these marks correspond with the marks my husband put on the inside of every ring. So fine we could only be read with a magnifying glass. Then, when the ring was sold, he always wrote the word sold in this column. Then it would be possible by checking the remaining stock against this book to know exactly what merchandise was stolen. Yes, if I guess it will be. Well, I must say, Mr. Whitted kept very thorough this. Yes, yes. My husband was a very, very man. Well, Mrs. Whitted, if you don't mind, we'll check over the stop right away. Every moment counts, you know. And so the widow of the murdered jeweler checked her husband's stop with the sheriff, choking back the tears as piece by piece recalls some intimate detail of her life. From recollection of an association abruptly and permanently terminated. It is a ghastly past. But the brave woman sees it through, and hours later the sheriff is in possession of his first real clue a complete list of the stolen goods. That afternoon he checked with his deputy to headquarters. Boys, I'm having a list of stolen goods mimeographed. And by tomorrow morning, it will be in the hands of the pawn shop details of every police department in the state. There ought to be our biggest single help. Sooner or later, this guy will have to phone some of the stuff. What makes you so sure it's a one-man job, Lancaster? Well, I just have a feeling it was. I don't know why. Pick up any joke when you were questioning Whitted's acquaintances? Nothing of any value. It was well thought of in Crockett. Didn't have any enemies that I could find out about. Strange thing. What's a bloody, vicious murder? I can't understand it. Well, I can tell you one thing. We're going to have a job on our hands after we catch the guy. Why? The people over in Crockett are in an ugly mood. They're talking about lynching. Oh, let them blow off steam if it makes them feel better. But I can assure you, Lancaster, there won't be any lynching. Not my line, Sheriff. More than two weeks passed by while the citizens of Crockett cool off. And no news is heard from Sheriff Neal's list of stolen goods. Seventeen days after the crime, the sheriff prepares a second list and broadcasts this one to every police department in the United States. But still, there's no reply. And then, 26 days after the murder, the sheriff calls Deputy Joe Joseph into his office. Joe, some of our stolen goods in that footed murder has shown up at last. Good. Who is it? Los Angeles. I just got a wire from Chief Speckle. They picked up a ring and watch that were found at the Castle Loan Company. I want you to go down there and find out all about it. Yes, sir. I'm on the way right now. Next morning, Joe Joseph interviews the proprietor of the pawn shop in Los Angeles. I want to look at that ring and watch you're holding for the police department. And who are you? Deputy Sheriff Joseph of Contra Costa County. Oh, yeah. They said you were coming in. Well, here's the stuff. When are they pawned? December 20th. Who phoned them? Well, the fellow signed the pawn ticket, Johnny Gomettino. I gave him six fifty for the ring and the watch. 
What does he look like? Well, he's about 35, I should say. Five feet, 10 or 11 inches. Good-looking guy. Has curly hair. American? No, maybe a Mexican or a mulatto. Okay. Now we're doing these things. I want that pawn ticket he signed. Oh, yes, sir. Here's a 6.50. Oh, thank you. I just copied it up with. Oh, there you are, Joe. Got a customer. Oh, hello, Eddie. Captain sent me down to tell you we just turned up another ring near Lips, the pawn shop over on Broadway. Fine. We'll go right around there since I get this back. Uh, what name did the man use who pawned this ring? Well, let me see now. It is right here on the phone ticket. Uh, Mike Havilov. Well, let me see that ticket. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're in the ring and take the ticket with me. What does this Mike Havilov look like? Well, I'll tell you. Not your Mexican. I don't know. He was a good-looking fellow with black curly hair, but uh, he was 35 years old, I think. Well, I'll give Pretty definite identification from those two pawnbrokers down in L.A., Sheriff. And I've expedited the handwriting on the two pawn tickets, and the names Johnny Domestino and Mike Phillips are in the same handwriting. Sure. I'll run off another list of stuff, including a description of our suspect. I knew he wouldn't lay low too long. Sheriff Vale speaking. Yes. Stanley Lentz. 
Okay. Bill, you better get Chief Black to help you look over the pawn shop there in San Jose. All right. Bill and I will get down to Santa Cruz and see Mr. Lang. While the two deputies journeyed to Santa Cruz, Jasmine, assisted by Chief Black of San Jose and his men, scoured the pawn shops of the city for the missing article. After an intensive day's work, Jasmine discovered one of the rings in a pawn shop run by Isidore Levine. You say you found this ring twice? Sure. Once in December 27th, I lent this fellow $23 on it. Then on the 29th, he come back and he gained it. But that night, he come back again. And he tells me he lost all his money gambling, so he lost a little more on the ring. So I gave him $27 that time. How do I feel, Trigger? Sure. Just here, huh? All right. Oh, look here. One ticket is found Pete Sanchez and the other is Pete Hernandez. Oh, well, there they are. I never noticed that before. And you sure the same fellow brought the ring in too? How does it So am I. The handwriting's the same. And if you ask me, it's the same as the handwriting on the pawn tickets we found in Los Angeles. While Johnson is just under verifying the comparison of handwriting on the sample day pawn tickets, under Sheriff William Deal and Deputy Joseph have located men in the Santa Cruz pool. Well, we're looking for a guy, and we think you know who he is. Well, that all depends. Who are you looking for? Well, the told your friend Caldwell a watch a little while back. He's about five foot ten, looks like a Mexican. Age about 35. You know who I mean. Don't know anybody like that. You better think careful, Lens. We're investigating a bad beast. I ain't involved. Yeah, well, how do we know? They search for murder in this place, you know. Yeah, but I ain't involved. No, 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 nobody's accusing you. But we just want to know about this friend of yours. What's his name? Well, I don't know anybody like that. Only Mexican Dan. Mexican Dan what? That's all I know. Where does he live? I ain't sure. Page card. Well, maybe he's over at the Tulsa and I ain't sure. The two officers follow the lead to the Tulsa's room. A seedy flop joint in a disreputable section of town. A frumpy landlady bleached. Yeah, what do you want? Is reported of the name of Mexican Dan registered here? No. Age about 35, height 5 foot 10, good looking, curly black hair. You're sure he isn't here? You're coppers, ain't you? Mm hmm, that's right. Well, now what I think of it, I believe I do know who you mean. Yeah, he registered here a week ago and paid up his rent. But he ain't here now. Left in a hurry last night. What's his last name? Well, I never did hear him tell us. Think it's Dutrick or something like that. Well, he's got a register here, haven't you? Yeah. And his name ought to be on it, didn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I never looked. No, no, it's likely you didn't. Let's see that register. There you are. You say that was about a week ago? Yeah, that's right. Uh, here it is, Joe. Dan Droch. How about it, ma'am? Was his name Droch? It might have been. Matter of fact, you're mighty sure it was now that you've thought it over, aren't you? Well, yes. I guess it was. Uh, well, what else do you remember now that you've given the matter mature consideration? That's all I know about him. You don't remember, for instance, where he said he was from? No, well, I ain't sure. No? Seems like I heard him say he had some relatives living in Minnesota. Uh, that's fine, ma'am. Never got a great thought to refresh the memory, is there? Come on, sir. Now, look, Joe. 
I'm going to hang around here and see if I can pick up anything else in this place. And I want you to get over to Miss Ted and see what they know about him over there. Okay. Next morning in Merced, Deputy Joseph looked at his old friend, Officer Louis Frago. Hello, Louis. Well, Joe, what the devil are you doing down here? Oh, a little official business. Yeah, yeah. Sit down. Uh, here, have a cigar. Hi. Your business anything I can help you with? Yes, it is, Louis. Uh, shoot. You know a fellow from around here by the name of Dan Roach? Dan Roach? Sure, I know him. He was born right here in Merced. I've arrested him plenty of times. Yes. He never had a break in life. Father was a Negro, mother a Mexican. Mother died when he was a baby and left him to shape pretty well for himself. He's been mixed up in a lot of small jobs, robberies and the like. Not a danger, Casual. I'm afraid you're wrong there, Lou. Looks like he's a murderer. What? Dan, a murderer? Oh, oh no, Joe. You must be wrong. Huh? Yeah. We got good reason to suspect he's the fellow who killed that old jeweler up in Crockett last month. Mm, well. It just goes to show you can never be sure. Let me get a look at his record, Lou. Well, they got it on file at the sheriff's office down in Fresno, but I can't help feeling you find your room. Why, I always look upon Dan as a sort of Deputy Joseph rushes to Fresno, obtains a copy of the criminal record of Dan Gross, and returns to report to Sheriff Field in Martin. Well, sir, I think we've got an identification at last. Fine. What is it? A man named Dan Droach from Merced sold that watch to the bus driver in San Jose. His signature on the hotel register and the signature on his criminal record, which I got in Fresno this morning, tallies with a handwriting on all his phone tickets. Now, just look at this record. Petty larceny, robbery, forgery, grand theft, reform schools, county jails, penitentiaries. And here's his picture and complete fingerprint classification. Well, at last, we've got what we're looking for. I'll get out new searches, disguising this man as the murderer, and I'll have them in every police station and post office in the United States and Canada by the end of the week. We sometimes wonder how much attention people pay to those men-wanted searches. Well, this time, I'm going even further. How's that? I'm going to have the story of the murder and these pictures set up and make maps from them. And I'll send those maps to every newspaper in the country asking them to give the story prominent space. That's a good idea. I'll make a policeman out of every man, woman, and child in this country. But I'm not going to stop until I send this bird where he belongs. The newspapers readily comply with Sheriff Field's request for cooperation. But it is not from some distant point that his first assistance comes from the public. It is from his own hometown of Martinez. For the morning after the story appears in the papers, Mrs. Frances E. Upton, proprietor of the Upton Hotel, calls upon the sheriff. Sheriff, I read about that murder in last night's paper. Yes, Mrs. Upton. Well, that man registered my hotel on December 2nd, while my night clerk was on duty. Are you sure? Yes. My night clerk recognized him from a picture in the paper. He checked out the next morning, and then that night... The night of December 3rd? That's right. The night of December 3rd, he checked in again while I was on duty. I know it was the same man. Only the first night, he gave the name of A. Randall. Second night, he signed the name of G. Oliveros. Uh, did you bring the register with you? No, I didn't know you'd be one. Oh, well, never mind. I'll send a man over to your place to look at it. I want to compare those signatures with some others I'm collecting. If you're positive that this is the man, Mrs. Upton... Then you've helped us a great deal. 
This places our suspect within seven miles of the scene of the crime the morning it occurred. Signatures on Mrs. Upton's register do closely resemble the handwriting of the signatures on the pawn ticket. And Sheriff Deal is now absolutely convinced that Dan Gross is the murderer. But despite the constant vigilance of the police, despite the secret work of the deputy sheriff, week after week goes by and no trace of Gross. Then, one till February dawn, Two shabbily dressed men are shuffling along the deserted streets of Phoenix, Arizona. I tell you, Dan, this life's a bunk. The cops get you out of El Paso and the brakeman kicks you off a train in Tucson. The cops get you out of Tucson and the shack kicks you off at Phoenix. I wonder how long it'll be before we get kicked out of Phoenix. Oh, I don't care. I wouldn't care about anything if I could only get some grub in me. Yeah, maybe if we got something to eat, we wouldn't be so cold. Yeah. You know, Dan, we ain't dumb. Why don't we came to get a knock over a bank or something? Then we could eat for a while. Uh, hot dough don't stick with you. What do you mean? Oh, I don't know, but I pulled a job a couple of months back. Got away with a nice coat full of hot jewelry. But it never done me no good. What do you mean? Oh, I pawned a few pieces and I figured I was hot. I started to El Paso and I went into a little pal of mine. I used to know in the big house. You know what that dirty so-and-so done? No, why? Well, while I was sleeping one night in the jungle outside of Lordsburg, New Mexico, he swiped my poke and took it on the lamp. Can you imagine that? The dishonest rat. Yeah. Hey, Harry, look. What? There's a bread wagon standing in front of that grocery store and the driver's going around back. Let's uh, have a some breakfast. Okay. Keep your eyes open for the driver and I'll set some down. All right. Coke here, sir. Hmm, donuts. Coffee cake, huh? Still hot. Gee, what a place. Uh, what do you think of this? Free lunch? Well, what the... I think I'll have to run you in. They don't like booze in this town. Well, I was just trying to get something to eat. Why don't you go to work for us? Work? Yeah. Try and find any. Oh, where's my pal? I thought you went in then, too, Flatfoot. Mm, he beat it when he saw me coming. You ought to take a more reliable lookout when you're planning a job. Come along now. Got you got this guy's on the drunk? No, Sergeant. Got this one stealing bread from a bakery wagon. What's your name? Dan Panthers. Uh, what? Dan Panthers. Sure, it isn't Dan Gross. What? No, it's Dan Sanchez. You did a good job this morning, Tom. Probably earned yourself a little reward. Oh, what do you mean? Well, this man is wanted in California for robbery and murder. Then what are you talking about? Look up there on the wall. There's a nice picture of you. And in case you can't read, it says, Wanted for murder and robbery, Dan Gross. <laughs> Extradited by Sheriff Field. Brought to trial and pled guilty by reason of insanity. But the jury was unimpressed by his plea. Found him sane and then found him guilty of murder in the first degree. There was no recommendation of clemency. And
and in spite of his boast that he would never hang Dan Gross's lifeless body swinging from the gibbet in San Quentin in the gray dawn of September 12, 1933, added another human sacrifice on the altar of society, above which is inscribed in flaming letters the legend, Crime Does Not Pay. Several million motorists listening tonight who were induced by this broadcast to try Rio Grande cracked gasoline. You discovered that Rio Grande really was a different gasoline with advantages possessed by no other brand. Now we will accept our sincere recommendation and another superior value. When you buy oil, ask your Rio Grande dealer for Sinclair motor oil. The entire petroleum industry acknowledges the leadership of Sinclair in producing a canned motor oil which is free from wax and which all useless petroleum jelly has been extracted, and which lubricates perfectly at the hottest or coldest temperatures where other oils break down. Every technical expert will admit that at only 25 cents for a quart can, Sinclair Opaline motor oil is the greatest oil bargain on this market. Sinclair Pennsylvania motor oil sells for 30 cents for a quart can. Drive into the next Rio Grande station to see. Fill up on cracked gasoline. Get your free copy of the latest Calling All Cars News. Get your free gift for your youngsters. Get Sinclair canned motor oil in your crankcase, and you'll get greater value for your money than you've ever got before. Frederick Lindsley, bidding you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company. <laughs>